Welcome to The Change Lead, the podcast providing leaders with the insight needed to get things done in a rapidly changing and complex world. Subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Connect with our community of like-minded leaders on our website, thechangelead.com. Welcome to The Change Lead with your host, Babatope Ipiyumi. Hello and welcome. This is Babatope Ipiyumi from The Change Lead. And welcome to another episode of the Change Lead podcast. My guest today is a startup coach. He has provided coaching, mentoring, and advisory services to over 500 founders and entrepreneurs globally. My guest today is Idowu Akinde. Idowu is on a mission to nurture the next generation of entrepreneurs. Today, Idowu and I will have a conversation on coaching innovative startups. So hi, Idowu. Thank you very much for joining me today. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation and welcome to the show. Hi, Tokwe. Thank you so much for having me again. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Perfect. Um, so today we'll be talking about coaching innovative startups. So I'd I like to start with, with a number, a statistic. And that number I've seen thrown around 90%. Okay. And there's a, there's, and it's hard to qualify, but there's a number that gets thrown around that 90% of st- um, startups fail. Okay? Very hard to justify that, very hard to verify that. But the general indication is we do have a lot of failures in the startup space. The other thing I want to point out here w- to start with is you wrote an article on Medium a while ago. Um, I called it The Surgeon's Knife. Mm-hmm. There was a personal story, but one of the things that came out from that article was that you're on a mission to raise the level of startup founders, particularly startup founders in Africa. So yes, if we sir. marry those two things together, the number that we have, a lot of startups failing, a high proportion of startups are failing, and you're looking to raise that level. If you do raise that level, we'll be changing that statistic. Um, so to get started, can you just tell us, what do you see as the, the basic startup building concepts that every founder needs to know and understand? Thank you so much. Um, so that's, so there's three aspects to that. So the first aspect is the statistic, the 90%. Second is the, is my personal mission, you know, to raise the cognitive sophistication of the average African founder, African startup founder. And third is uh, what are the basic concepts of, um, you know, uh, startup building. Uh, they are intertwined, uh, you know, uh, 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 but I'll just but I'll just speak to them uh, in order. So for the first, the ninety percent statistic, I do not necessarily agree that it's as bad as ninety percent. However, I do not um, dismiss or underestimate the degree of the problem. Okay, you know, the degree of you know uh, seriousness of the problem. Um, majority of startups definitely do fail. By my estimation, no less than 70, probably not as high as 90, no less than 70%, okay? Um, There are a number of reasons for this. There's also a slight misuse of a certain term, okay? So many times, the context within which that statistic is is used is actually an SME context and not a startup context. 
And so there is the important distinction. At the end of the day, a startup is not an SME. A startup is not the early days young version of a future business. That's not the definition of a startup. Okay. There's a significant difference between a startup and an SME. Let me just quickly you know, define that and we'll move on. An SME is a business. In other words, a small business, right, is a business that is, is a business whose business model is known and locked down from day one. So if you and I were starting a new company today, for instance, but we know who our customers are going to be, we know how much they're going to pay, we know how we're going to deliver to them, we know how we're going to market to them, we know how we're going to you know, maintain and build a relationship with them. We have all of those details locked down and there is no variability, there is no probability, you know, pretty much around, around how those things will be executed. And that's a small business. It is small because it is just starting, okay? However, a startup is by definition an experiment. A startup is a business entity whose business model is not yet known, pricing model is not yet known, delivery model is not yet known, customer relationship and management model is not yet known. And therefore, a startup, you can use the following definition, a startup is the business entity that is set up to validate certain assumptions about a certain marketplace, okay? So it just so happens that people register or incorporate new companies and they start to run experiments. And this comes to the last part of your question, which is, uh, 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 what are those basic startup building concepts, okay? okay, that every startup founder should know. So at Boolean Labs, my consultants, shameless plug, what we do is that <laughs> when, we help, when we help startup founders, okay, when we coach startup founders, we, we, we try to do some kind of mental reconfiguration and help them understand that, hey, you have been approaching the startup game wrong because you've been thinking to yourself that, before I can start a startup, I need to be uber smart. I need to be uber. I need to be uber precise. I need to be very precise. I need to know everything that is going to happen. I need to, you know, blah blah blah. However, what you need to do is to take everything in a bite-sized, iterative approach. The first experiment, the first activity, the first, the first important thing that every startup founder needs to establish is to validate that you actually have a worthy idea to pursue. So that first, so we convert that question. Do I have a valid startup idea? We convert it into a set of experiments. We give you an experiment to do, go and find personas, that's the experiment, 1A. Go and find, uh, go and build an empathy map around those personas, that's experiment 1B. And then build a value proposition canvas, that's experiment 1C. Okay, so by the time you are done with these experiments, if you pass all, if, if, all, if all your experiments um, turn out valid, meaning that your idea that you passed through those experiments came out on the other side of the experiment as valid, then you can proceed to the next stage. So to answer your question simply, in summary, what are those basic principles? What are those basic, basic concepts that every startup founder must know? Number one is idea validation. You must be able, every startup founder is a brainiac, okay? Because they can spot problems and they can see the, the business opportunities. However, the very first thing you want to do is how do you convert that idea, right? How do you, how do you validate that that idea is worth pursuing? There are a number of factors, there are a number of ways of doing that, you know, but I don't want to go into the details. So number one is idea validation, that's number one. Number two is strategy validation. Immediately after validating that an idea using, using 1A, 1B, 1C is valid, what you want to do is before you spend too much resources, resources could be time, money, 
energy, relationship capital, social capital, before you spend too much, too much uh, capital chasing that idea, quickly simulate what a business structure might look like if built around that idea. And that's called a business model or a business strategy. So you build that business model, you build that business strategy. And you know that's our experiment number two. That's the second concept. Experiment number three is something called PSF. PSF stands for Problem Solution Fit. Now, it sounds like a no-brainer to you and I, okay? However, you'll be surprised how widespread, how prevalent I have found the following problem. I've seen it in Amsterdam, I've seen it in Dubai, I've seen it in London, I've seen it in Toronto, Canada, I've seen it all over many, many places uh, 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 across the African continent. When I'm looking through a slide deck, slide one has a problem and maybe two or three bullet points, problem statements, two or three bullet points. Slide two, okay, maybe slide two. Slide, slide one is tied to slide. Slide two has a problem statement, two or three bullet points. Slide three has the proposed solution description two or three bullet points. Many times there is no alignment or one-to-one -one mapping between the bullet points of your problem statement and the bullet points of your position statement. And when I highlight this, the founder looks like, oh my God, I can't believe that this happened to me. But it happens to a lot of founders. So that's number three, that's the third concept, problem solution fit. The ability to remain mindful and not get lost in the intellectual, I'm sorry, you know, you know exercise, right, of building a solution. Remain mindful to continue to, to ensure that you are solving specific pain points, right, with your proposed solution. So that's problem solution fit. There are number, there are number of techniques at, at arriving at that as well. Uh, so those are the first three. There are about nine or 10 of them in our standard curriculum. But let me just uh, stop there for now and we can pick it up again. I don't want to hold the mic. Oh, that's that's really really good. I know you just touched three, but that's a lot of a lot of content there. And I think one thing that just keeps coming out from the way you've expressed that one is the passion that you have for doing this, but that's also right. it's experimentation, experimentation, that's experimentation, right. and and that is that is so key. I think if that's one thing I, I want to make sure that anyone watching or listening takes away is that that is really what it's about. It's about experimenting. Um, it's, it's a shame, but a lot of the way we've been trained, conditioned, educated, doesn't encourage experimentation. Um, I think I had a guest on a few weeks ago, and he was explaining the fact that we've been conditioned to believe in a win first time bias. So we think you go to school, you need to pass first time. You 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 start a business, you start an experiment, you start an endeavor, you pass first time. You start a job, and if and you, you don't pass, you dump it. Exactly, and and. But even the data of looking at life, the people who've been successful, that's not true. Um, I like the example of Steve Jobs. He did not pass first time as a CEO. His first time around, he was quite bad. Um, look at the inventor of the light bulb, Thomas Edison. He did not succeed first time. It was experimentation, experimentation, experimentation. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm getting from what you're, what you're expressing there. So, Thank you so thanks, much for capturing Thanks for that. Um, if we if we broaden the view a little bit, so we've talked about very specific about startup founders who go out, like you said, set up. They've got an experiment. They're validating a business idea or assumptions on a business, and they go ahead and set up a business. However, we do know that that experimentation can take place in a different context. It can take place in the context of already established businesses who need to experiment, and people who do that, we tend to refer them as intrapreneurs all right um yes, sir. Yes, sir. there is um 
probably more opportunity for entrepreneurs because we've got lots of large businesses and probably more need um, because there's a lot of there's a lot of need to to change the way existing businesses are already operating. So it'd be good to get your take on how can entrepreneurs apply these same concepts and are there any examples that you can use to tease this out where this has worked? Okay. So um, I'll start with the example. Uh, I may not be at liberty, complete liberty to name the specific entity, but it's one of the biggest banks in Nigeria, if not Africa. Okay. Uh, I had a consult. I consulted for them uh, late 2019. Uh, so what they did was um, they did some, some, some internal strategy review session and discovered that they are, they have become as it were an elephant, you know, in terms of nimbleness, in terms of ability to move, okay, they become an elephant. And so they said, I'm, I mean, and, and, and if you've been familiar with the Nigerian uh, startup ecosystem, especially the fintech segment of, segment of that ecosystem, the fintech has been, you know, you know, growing rapidly. And, you know, their bank, their traditional bank. So they've been thinking, hmm, what can we do to protect these young guys, these young fintechs from stealing our cheese, okay? And so they set up something and called it XYZ Bank Digital Innovation Lab. And that's the entity for which I was engaged to coach, right? You know, because they are the innovation engine. So again, it's an answer to your question and it's a, and it's a live example. So what does, what, does, what does this digital innovation lab do? What's their mandate? Their mandate is quite simple. Their mandate is to do two things. One, analyze us, put up a mirror against our face, show us our weaknesses, right? Strategy-wise, we know that we have, you know, you know uh, the advantages of being large, but we want you to tell us what are the disadvantages that come with being so large? What are the things we are missing out in the opportunity that these fintechs that are getting so, so large valuation, what are, they, what are they seeing that we're not seeing? So the first thing is to do some kind of critical analysis and help the bank shore up its own internal innovation slash technology slash product development weaknesses. That's the first leg of the mandate. The second leg of the mandate we, is, to, is to then after shoring up the, the bank's internal weaknesses, help the bank to look outward and capture, identify and capture you know, external opportunities in the marketplace that they may not have seen otherwise. And as you might imagine, what is the Digital Innovation Lab? What are they made of? They're made of young, passionate, energetic, of course, competent, technically competent young guys, you know. And hey, you know, it's a kind of culture where for the main bank, they, they wear their suit and tie, they're mandated to wear their suit and tie, you know, an official wear. But these guys in the lab, you know, they have they have a really, really, really nice uh, ambience and setup. You know, they have these boxing, boxing bags, you know, punching bags, you know, and stuff like that. You know, you know, stuff like that. You know, really, really, really nice ambience. And of course, they can they can come in as I'm dressed, casually dressed, or even in t-shirts and jeans, you know, and stuff like that. And they get their stuff done. So that's one practical example. I hope it also answers the question. Yeah, I think I, I think that's that's really good actually. And I like the way you use the analogy of an elephant to describe <laughs> the bank. I know it, it, it might be a little bit, well, it might not be the best light, but a lot of companies fit that model. A lot of established organizations, yes. they've been around for several years, but if they look at themselves critically, like you help that organization do, mm -hmm. they will realize that they're also turning into elephants and yes. it, it is a risk. And it's, it's and I think what they've done, engaging you and what they've done by in, that introspection is 
it's better for them to do it themselves than for them to be caught out and it's too late. So it is the right approach. So there is what you're, what you're describing here is there's a lot of opportunity for entrepreneurship. A large organization can take these same concepts and begin to innovate themselves. Um, so I, I like that. Um, you, you mentioned something about fintechs because that's a, a big thing now. We've got lots of fintechs, particularly London, where, where I am. Um, and when you think about fintechs and startups generally who operate similar to fintechs, we almost take innovation as a given. Same with the innovation lab that you created, that you helped coach. We almost, we just assume, we set up something, we call it innovation, we call it a startup, innovation will turn up. Um, but data doesn't prove that to be the case. Um, one trend I've noticed is you will have somebody, a founder comes ahead, gets Series A funding, comes up with, a, addresses a real problem in the market, Mm -hmm. begins to get traction mm -hmm. let's call it an innovative idea that's being validated in the market but once there's any, any traction all of a sudden you get 10 sometimes 20 startups fighting mm -hmm. in exactly the same space in exactly the same geography um so it's almost a case of these other startups are not innovative if we're going to be honest they are mm -hmm. copying mm -hmm. the front leader um, so, and I think you're well positioned to look at this as a, as a, as a coach for startups. How do we coach for innovation? How do we coach for the mindset of experimentation? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You see, what you just described is probably the toughest job that we have or that, you know, that I have and my team as well, that we have as startup coaches. And I'll explain. The... The greatest weakness of smart people, and I use this word very intentionally, smart people, okay? People who excelled in school, who have gotten many opportunities or many, many instances of validation from their peers, their family members, superiors, people who have been labeled smart for many, many years of their life. One of the weaknesses of being smart, being a smart person, being seen in society as a smart person, is that over time, if you're not actively working against it, you, you, you adopt or imbibe a, a spirit of my solution is the answer. Rather than, and, and, and you, take that, you take that attitude into innovation, rather than having an innovative, having the true innovative mindset, which is, I do not care what I have. I may be the best design thinking expert in the world. I may be the best blockchain expert in the world. I may be the best machine learning engineer in the world, but I do not care about what, I, what I'm bringing to the table. I care so much about the customer pain, the customer problem. So there's this popular statement in innovation circles, at least mature innovation circles, not roadside innovation circles, that goes like this. Fall in love with the problem, not your solution. And that's the problem. Many times, smart people can theoretically come up with an idea in their offices and back it up with statistics from World Bank, the data sets from Nigerian Bureau of Statistics, blah, 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 blah from UND, UN, UN.org, United Nations, blah, 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 
you know, there are, there, there are numbers that they can use to back these things up. But many times what happens is the solutions that are built from that solution, the products that are built from that solution mindset do not have what you call the compelling factor that a, that a custom, a prospective customer will see from afar and will be like, oh my God, where have you been all my life? Please take my money. You want to inspect anyone who really, really intends to build a product that will scale out into the millions, have millions of users, and therefore by extension, millions, millions in revenue. You need, to, you need to solve a problem that is not just a problem. You need to solve a problem that, in, that, is, that, that has a compelling factor to it, such that when your customer sees the solution that you are presenting to them, either directly or indirectly, to address that problem, they'll be like, oh my God, where have you been all my life? I need, I need this. Can you have my money right now? That's the kind of reaction people need to be generating. But in order to generate that reaction, you need to throw away whatever you think you have in terms of smarts and immerse yourself into what we call the problem domain. So there's a problem domain, there's a solution domain. Many smart people immerse themselves in the solution domain, the domain of technologies and approaches and solutions, design thinking, da, 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 buzzwords, instead of immersing themselves in the domain of the problem, which is where the customer currently lives, and immersing yourself to the degree where you become so intimate with their problem and how they view that problem that you can make near accurate or accurate guesstimates as to what will, they will find compelling. That is when you have innovation. Everything else is just, I'm sorry to say, bubble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I've, I, I, I like the way you explained that and it's, it's super clear what you're saying. We need to focus, for innovation, we need to focus on the problem, fall in love with the problem, not the solution. And no. I think you, you're seeing it from the startup world. Um, I work a little bit with startups, so mainly with large organizations, and it's a challenge I see a lot of as well. So it's, it, it is something I see. It's something I've been going through right now, thinking how do I switch a couple of people I meet on Monday? How do I switch their mindsets? So you focus on the problem. You've written the agenda, problem, problem. But everything that's coming out from that conversation so far is solution. And you really need to say, what, what's the problem we're really trying to solve? Um, another way I, I, I like, and you can correct me if you, if this analogy doesn't work, is it's almost like you need to be learners, not knowers. You don't go in saying, I know what to do. I need to learn, right? Yes. It's, uh, yes. it's, it's, it's yeah. a new field. You are not the expert. The customer is the expert. Forget your expertise. Forget your certificates and your laurels. You are not the expert. The customer is the expert. Actually, that's you, you're, you, you're spot on on that. You're spot on. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, I want to come into a little bit of your coaching. So you mentioned Boolean Labs, your your consultancy, and I think yes. over over time you've had the opportunity of of coaching, mentoring, advisory. I think right now is over five hundred startup founders and entrepreneurs. So that's a significant mark to hit. So first of all, say I say congrats for hitting that mark. Um, but through that whole experience, that whole process of so many experiments, um, coaching people to experiment. Um, going through with an attitude of not being the knower but being the learner. Um, what have you learned? What can you share from what you've learned from that process? Okay, thank you so much. Um, for me personally, I so that person that I 
that I described, that smart person that I described a few moments ago, that used to be me, okay? Uh, in a previous iteration, in a previous life, you know, if you, if, 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 in a previous incarnation, that was me. Uh, this experience of having interacted with such a wide variety, such a wide range, right, of startups scattered across cultures and geographies, right, you know, all over the world. What it has done for me is that it has helped me see that, number one, learn that, number one, problems are universal, okay? Problems are universal, you know, so, uh, I mean, I've, I've, I live in Africa, but this is not the only place with problems. Problems are everywhere. Number two, problems are not as bad as you think they are. Actually, every problem is an opportunity in disguise. And I like to put it like this. Every problem is somebody's million dollar opportunity. So if it's not you, if you're not the one that sees it, and if you don't take it, somebody else will come along and take it. You'll be, you, you'll be reading about that person in newspapers or, or, or you know, you know, or, or in, the, in the news outlets. Number three, and this is probably the most important one, um, intelligence and the ability to solve problems. Now, now I don't use the intelligence in the, in the traditional definition uh, uh, as the academic community likes to use it, but intelligence, the ability to attack problems uh, until, until you find a fitting uh, sustainable solution, whether that is uh, looking at it from fresh eyes or having the presence of mind to continue to iterate and you know, change parameters of how you're solving that problem. But the intelligence to solve problems is universal. It is universal, trust me, it is universal. Um, when you find people who have that oomph, that factor, that intelligence factor that I'm describing, I've seen them in Tanzania, I've seen them in Cape Town, I've seen them in Nairobi, I've seen them in Toronto, I've seen them in London, I've seen them in uh, Southeast Asia, I've seen them all over the world, right? And you know, it's it is it, it is equally distributed around the world. So if I can if I can if I can summarize there, I'd say those are the three lessons that I've learned, um, having the privilege to interact with so many so many startup founders and entrepreneurs. That, that, that is that is that's really good to hear and very very positive. It's, it's, it's a very optimistic statement as well, and it's good to get that that the challenges are universal. Um, but those challenges are opportunities in disguise, really. And the ability to solve these problems are also, or solve the challenges, are also universal. Um, so there is, there are solutions, there are ways forward, and this is universally available. So it's, uh, that's, that's very, and, it's, it's, and given that you've learned that from such a broad range of experiences it validates that learning in, in, my, in my view as well so that that's good um if we if we extend what you just described there and the, the startup building concepts to a slightly broader context um like you just said the the problems are universal if we think about large global universal challenges i tend to call them global complex challenges um, and it, it's something I'm quite passionate about because I, th I think this is these are the, these are determined these are determined factors of, of our of our generation anyway. Mm -hmm. Is we as a so global society we need to transition away from fossil fuels. Um, we have mm -hmm. a civilization that has been built on the foundations of fossil fuel. Mm -hmm. That change is not going to be a national change, an industry change. It's going to be a global change. Um, if we think about the global pandemic that we're 
getting through or going through right now. Once again, it's another global challenge. These are the challenges that are defining our time. Um, one of the things I know that we're passionate about, probably not globally aware, but we know that needs to be dealt with and addressed is the transformation of African society. It's another global challenge. It's not a national challenge. It's not even a continental challenge. If you look at it, because of history and what's happened globally, it is actually a global challenge. Um, how can we, and it's more of a thought, I don't think we're looking for specific answers or imagining we know in our ivory towers, but how can we begin to have a conversation? What, what are your thoughts on applying the startup building concepts, the mindset of experimentation to these large global challenges as well? So, so um, perhaps you didn't know, but you've, you've included the answer in the question. <laughs> So, so I think that at, at, at least, uh, at least as as far as I know, we have approached these large, complex problems of climate change, the current pandemic. We've approached them with a traditional, like you said earlier, binary um, hit or miss, get it right or or, or get it totally wrong approach. And that's why we have, we have, we've, 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 that's why the problems have persisted so long. I advocate rather for, and this comes from my, this comes from my uh, uh, agile coaching, the agile coaching aspect of my, of my, my career, my background. I advocate rather for the experimentation mindset, right? The iterative, uh, incremental approach to solving problems. So take, take climate change, for instance. Um, the, the, the climate is reacting to, or you know, the planet or the climate is reacting to uh, energy, energy, our usage of energy sources, right? That when, when, when taken on an individual transaction level, do not look like they're doing much, but when you, look at the aggregates on the macro, we are obviously, you know, hurting ourselves, hurting the planet, hurting ourselves, and the planet is reacting. Um, if you approach that kind of a problem, especially where you have independent, intelligent, rational actors, classic game theory, behavioral economics type problem, okay? If you approach that kind of problem from a traditional waterfall-ish, project management-ish, uh, shoot or miss approach, you are definitely going to get a lot of parameters wrong because there are moving parts. Uh, if, I don't want to name any countries, if country A today feels like they want to reduce their carbon emissions by 70% and they discover after five years that country B has only reduced theirs by 7%, okay? What, where is the encouragement for them to continue to reduce theirs? Don't you think that after some time they will make laws or legislate and reduce their reduction from 70% to 7% so that everybody's equal and let everybody start to move forward? And then, you know, and, and, and these are classic problems of, of uh, uh, game theory type, type, type systems. So what am I, where am I going? I'm saying the traditional hit or miss binary approach, get it or fail get it or miss it approach, you know, is not sufficient for these kinds of problems. You have to approach them, like I said, that you said the, 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 the answer within the question. You have to approach these kinds of problems from an 
attitude from a perspective with, a, with an experimentation approach. Take a little bit of the problem, experiment, and then based on the outcome of that experiment, decide whether you want to tweak or modify certain parameters in the, in the current configuration of the problem such that you can then test that new configuration under the same uh, conditions of the experiment again and see if it works. Or you want to discard that entirely and move to something else, you know. And it's it's a bit surprising, you know, that um, as a society we haven't really we have we have leaned more towards this hit or miss style than the incremental iterative take it a little bit at a time and experiment a little bit at a time approach because that this approach it doesn't look glamorous it doesn't look like it works you know on the big on the big stage but trust me. Uh, uh, it is the perfect implementation of the compound interest principle. As you, as you repeat those experiments, you are building on previous successes and you will get to a stage where the degree of success, the degree of momentum that you'd have generated will literally be jaw-breaking you know, or mouth-opening to people who are observing what you're doing. So that's my approach. That's my recommendation. No, I like that. Thanks, and that, that is fully in line with my school of thought here, that it's the experimentation mindset that applies, that works for these, for these, kind, of, for these kind of challenges. And I expect over time, with, with, more, with more people coming to this way of thinking, we will get more successes with these, with these challenges. Um, so watch, watch this space and see how things go. Um, I think you've been very generous with your with your insights, with the, the knowledge you have, with the experience you've had. Um, before we close, it would be good for our audience to know a little bit more about you. So, you know, know any final thoughts you have, and it'd be good to know how can people contact you, um, and anything else coming up from from, from you. Okay. Okay. So uh, to close that out, can I can I can I uh, can I crave your indulgence? Can you can I list out the the other elements of the of, sure. of the startup concept. Sure. So we, we listed number one to three, uh, idea validation, number two, strategy validation, number three, problem solution fit. Immediately following problem solution fit, it's time to check out the degree of fit between your, your team and the market. So there's something called team market fit. Slightly related to the concept of team market fit, and that's number four, team market fit and co-founder fit. Many people do not know, many people have heard that um, most, I think it's 75% of SMEs fail due to lack of access to finance. But many people do not know that the second, the first runner up in terms of reasons why those SMEs fail, the first runner up, okay, is co-founder conflict, okay, co-founder misfit, you know, so that's, that's, that's number four. Team market fit and co-founder fit, that's number four. Number five is product market fit, okay? Now, we, we spoke earlier about um, problem solution fit, okay? Now, this time around, you want, to, you want to start to think about how much alignment is there between your product as you've designed it and the acceptance of the market. How is the market reacting to your product? There are a few empirical methods and techniques for arriving at 
a good enough confidence level okay to justify further investments in your startup but you know like i like i always say if you are being backed by mature investors they will most likely force you to do carry out experiments that validate whether you've achieved pmf product market fit but if you get hitched if you get hooked up with what I call roadside investors, okay, investors who don't really have the sophistication necessary to even know the difference between this concept that we're talking about, then they may not even bring to your awareness PMF, right? And you may just be getting money that is literally going down the drain, okay? After product market fit is scale. So immediately after product market fit, it's time to, that's number six now, it's time to start to think about how to take this product because now you've validated that the the early segment of the market loves your product and is absolutely passionate about it. Now it's time to take it to the early, to the late, to the to the late majority segment of the market, to the to the people who are not your first buyers. So again, again, this refers to a concept that in every product, in every technology product deployment, there are people who immediately rush out to get the first version of that product. There are others who wait for those people to make the experiment and fail, and you know give their reviews and then wait before adopting that product. You know, so, so that's that. And then after scale, you can start to talk about environmental awareness and investor preparedness. So those are the concepts. Uh, how do people reach me? I'm reachable, I'm quite visible on LinkedIn as well as YouTube. So those are my main channels, LinkedIn and YouTube, okay? Especially in the year 2022, uh, my team and I have, 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 have set up a, a schedule of of recording and publishing videos that touch on many, many, many of these startup concepts. You know, so 2022, YouTube is going to be a heavy part of our, of our strategy as well as LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, my name is Ido Akinde. If you can see the tag on this Zoom screen, Ido, I-D-O-W-U space A-K-I-N-D-E. That's my name. If you search for me on YouTube or, or LinkedIn, you'll find me. I'm also on Twitter, I'm on Instagram, and I'm on Medium. But the first two, LinkedIn and YouTube, are the, are the best ways to catch me. Perfect. Perfect ID. Thank you so much, Ido. What I'll do, I'll make sure that your LinkedIn and YouTube links are on the, if you're watching, if you listen to this on where audio, it will be there, whether you Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever way you listen to your podcast, you will find that in the show notes. Well, it's actually just the description section of the, of the episode. Also, if it's on YouTube, it'll be in the description section as well, so that you can easily reach out to Ido. Um, Ido, thank you very much for sharing these insights. They are very optimistic, very practical, very insightful. And I think they are required for our day. So, and so, I thanks for being generous, generous with these insights as well. Thank you. Um, thank you. I think so we're going to have to bring you back at some point. But this has been a brilliant <laughs> conversation. Thank Always you so okay. much. Thank you so uh, much. Take care. Thank you. Would you like to learn more about coaching innovative startups? Would you like to join in the conversation on how to build innovative startups? Connect with a community of like-minded leaders on our website, thechangelead.com. When you visit our site, click join to join the community. Check out the show notes for details on how you can contact Idogi. Also, please don't forget to like, comment, review and subscribe. Thank you very much for tuning in. Have a great week and see you next time.